Hello, and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by Hybrid Links. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. Today I'm pleased to cover sales again in this podcast and we will focus on structure of sales teams and organizations inside language service provider or LSP companies. To cover this important topic, I've invited Thomas Edwards, an industry veteran of translation sales, to speak about it. Thomas A. Edwards is the Vice President of Transition and a Senior Sales Trainer at Fluent Sales based in France. He is a localization industry leader who has been in the translation industry since 1994. He started his career in the language services industry as a technical French translator working for Silicon Valley software companies while studying in California. He has held positions in operations and sales working with startups as well as preeminent companies on both the client and service provider sides. He has held various sales and general manager positions for Bound Global Solutions and International Language Engineering. Both of these companies are now part of uh, LineBridge, and he worked for LineBridge itself, Moravia, and SDL. He has opened offices in three different locations in the United States and has generated significant revenue and profit over his career. He has brought in and worked with some of the industry's largest accounts, ranging from Microsoft to Deutsche Bank, and consistently exceeded targets. He is known for his expert consultative sales approach to account management. Thomas is a citizen of Switzerland, France, and the United States, and he was born in San Francisco and was raised in Normandy, France. He speaks French and English fluently, and he has graduated from University de Caen in France and the University of California at Berkeley, where he majored in English and linguistics. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Thomas. How are you? Thanks, Sultan. I'm very well. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. Thomas, I know you. Uh, you are an industry veteran and, and quite well known. But for those folks who haven't heard of you or they're new to the industry, please give us a brief introduction of yourself and what you do. So I've been in this industry for almost 30 years. And I kind of fell uh, in this industry by accident, uh, like so many of us. My background is quite international. I have three citizenships by birth, uh, French, Swiss, and American. I grew up as a French kid in France, served in the French army, and then eventually ended up in America, where I was a student at UC Berkeley and needed to pay my rent one day. So I said, what can I do? And I decided to do translation. And that's how I got into this industry. And then later, I joined um, the industry uh, on the client side and eventually on the services side as an operations person and salesperson. That, that's a very interesting, colorful, unique background that you have. Uh, but let's start, uh, let's talk about um, your start. You say that, you, you know, the circumstances kind of uh, shape things up for you to join this industry. Tell me about that. I know the story, but I want you to share with the podcast audience. How did you start? How was it? Yeah, so it 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 actually was um, quite tough because 
as I was a freelance translator, I started looking at, I had no experience. Um, I had done a little bit of uh, interpreting um, in the French army in Berlin, uh, working with the English forces and the, and the American forces as part of the French army. However, as far as a translator, I had very little experience. So I ended up, um, the, the biggest challenge for me was to find clients. I had a revenue that was ebbing and flowing. So sometimes I had too many projects that I needed to perform as a translator. Um, and it was quite stressful because I was a full-time student at the same time. And sometimes I would have these lull in revenue. And I didn't even know how to sell myself, how to go out and find business for myself as a linguist. So that was, I think, the the most challenging part uh, as a freelance translator. And and then some agencies had a tendency to give me very low rates, um, so I had to kind of constantly fight for 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 rates or negotiate rates or decide not to use uh, work with certain agencies, and so eventually I found that working on the client side was uh, better paid. So I ended up doing translations for a Mac utility uh, software company doing print queue management and um, uh, formatting software for hard drives uh, when they were upgraded from a Mac, uh, let's say a 20 meg uh, to a 40 meg uh, uh, (laughs) SCSI hard drive that was uh, put in an enclosure and needed some software to to run it. Um, And it was much better paid. but then I aspired to a bit more and in 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 doing more having more exposure to other languages than just French. And one day I was asked, hey, could you manage a German translation project? And how about a Japanese one? And that's how I moved into project management in addition to being a linguist. And eventually found a job at International Language Engineering in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, which was uh, one of the first ISO certified uh, agencies in the industry, and um, and um, yeah, ended up working for Microsoft, mainly Microsoft projects, uh, double byte projects for um, the home market um, in Japan, mm-hmm. as well as Octel on large uh, systems administrator manuals in multi uh, languages, thousands of pages to localize. But that's how I started as a project manager on the services side. So you've seen it all, basically. You've been in so many uh, different roles that nothing is new or unique or surprising to you. Well, I, I think there's plenty of new developments all the time <laughs> in our industry. It's quite a quite a uh, an interesting industry, I have to say. We heard about that, but Thomas, I'm interested to hear a few words from you about your journey. What uh, have you seen along the way that stood out to you as significant, as important, that things that you always think about and, and you, in a way evolved, not just the industry, but you as a person too? I, I think when I when I was a project manager and eventually an account manager and a salesperson dealing mainly with uh, IT companies in the Silicon Valley in California, what I noticed was there was this cycle of two years that corresponded 
to the the release typically of a of a windows um, update a, a major windows update every two years and what you would have is you would have a spike in business shortly after shortly before right before and after a new release of uh, of windows which impacted a lot of the partner companies um, that develop software or hardware on the windows uh, platform for for um, for pcs and and um, this spike was, um, uh, you could almost predict it. And it was a, um, it was a phenomenon that, that really affected our, our language industry for, for many years and still does to some extent. The other one that I noticed is that in about 25 to 30 years, the word rates have not really changed much. Even though the cost of living at the same time has increased drastically, uh, something like two or three hundred percent in cost of living, word rates have not modified by more than five or ten percent since I started. And and that's a major concern because uh, obviously our industry uh, is not keeping up with inflation, cost of living, and so forth. And uh, I know that there are conversations, uh, people are talking about it, about justifying how our costs have gone up. All our suppliers have to be paid more and um, our overhead is costing us a little bit more. Technology is costing us more. So uh, do you see any shift happening in that front? Well, the, the, everybody, so many people are complaining about this and have been complaining for years, starting with the linguists, that uh, the word rates are too low but also the LSPs, small, medium, or large alike. The truth of the matter is we are our worst own enemies in, in this industry because we keep on um, agreeing to sell to end clients at the word rate level. Yet, from when I started to now, in addition to the word rate, let's say 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, we charged for project preparation, we charged for DDP, we charged for engineering, we charged for final QA. We had all these and project management, we charged 15 to 5 to 15 percent in project management in addition to the word rate. Right. And unfortunately, what has happened is because of competition. Companies now are just eliminating from their quotes a lot of these additional tasks, focusing on the word rate, yet not increasing that word rate um, to, to, to the end client. And by doing that, we are clearly putting ourselves in a commodity realm where, where clients see us as the same as, as buying a bag of peanuts sometimes, as opposed to the professional, very technical and very challenging um, uh, industry that we are and and given as you said this is a knowledge industry there are skills involved there's training involved yet there's a race to the bottom and commoditizing it and and part of the problem might be because there's always um, a smaller company in, in in a region that's willing to sell and undercut the word rate which um, keeps those word rates uh, at a low level the other one is I think we are not, as, a, as, as a service providers, we are not doing a service to our clients or to our linguists or to our companies or team members because we are not educating the customer as to why it's important to have higher word rates and be paid a fair wage for this very in, uh, 
uh, knowledge intensive and uh, technology uh, intensive, uh, requiring a lot of investment, as you mentioned, right. Sultan. We're just not educating the customers en enough. Uh, th that's good stuff. But uh, today I've invited you, uh, Thomas, to talk about uh, and share your wisdom and experience in the area of sales. So this is going to be a bit of a master class for sale directors of sales and LSPs, managers. Uh, please share a few words about how sales is executed in the language industry today. And we'll you know, drill deeper into all these issues and opportunities and so forth. But give me a high level bird's eye view of uh, how sales is done today. So first, I think it's important to, to realize there's, there's really two different types of LSPs, uh, language service providers, translation companies. Um, the, on the one hand, you have the very large players that have grown by acquisition, sometimes uh, and, and also organically, um, and have really figured out everything. So they have professional sales teams, um, they have been fully trained, they have sales management, they have uh, technology helping sales and the like. And then you have smaller to medium-sized uh, LSPs that often case evolved from having a, a founder um, who was uh, the, the managing director of the company and also its main salesperson. Right. Because of that, that owner has had such an important role in the, in the, in the sales uh, process um, and it has caused challenges in, in hiring staff that may not have that may not feel that they have the power or the autonomy to be able to to sh to showcase their skill at the highest level just because you have this this owner that uh, typic or or owners that typically um, watch the company with a with an eagle eye. Understood, Thomas. Let's dive deeper. Um... And and so you mentioned about the the leadership, uh, how they can actually affect um, how sales is done. But let's talk about the structure of sales teams in our industry. What's the form? What's typically what does a sales team look like in an LSP? So uh, what would um, I'll I'll give the end to to the answer um, before the beginning. Uh, there's a missing link in our industry, often case, which is the strategic account management team or the account management team. What we have is we have very well organized operations, project management, engineering, linguists, etc. And then we have fairly well organized uh, sales teams with a, a sales director typically. Then you'll have, uh, if the, the LSP does business in different regions, you'll have, let's say, a BDM or BDD, business development manager, business development director in different regions. And then what is lacking is the, the, the account management team that can take over from sales a new piece of business and maintain and grow that account, freeing up the time of the salespeople to remain hunters as opposed as to falling in the trap of becoming only farmers. Therefore, no, no more bringing, let's say, um, new leads and fresh accounts into the organization. And that is a challenge of the current structure of the LSP in many cases. 
in in order to get a, a hunter you just pointed to to the fact that hunters obviously go and find new customers and then you have account managers which are uh, akin to farmers basically they have to continue business from existing clients what are some of the basic qualifications for a salesperson a hunter that could thrive in an lsp so there is a rumor in our industry that cold calling is dead that people don't need to cold call anymore. They don't need to pick up the phone. Everything is done uh, via LinkedIn messaging or sending uh, mass emails uh, or eventually meeting people and leads at, at a trade show in person. However, that is incorrect. A true right. salesperson and the quality of a true successful salesperson is the ability to prospect, to find leads, and to do outreach. Whatever works best for that salesperson. Some people prefer to call, use the phone or Zoom uh, or, or, or similar tools. Um, some people don't prefer this and they are very good at uh, making uh, an approach via, let's say, written media. Um, it's a choice. However, let's not forget that ultimately a good salesperson, and that's what their quality should be primarily, is somebody who will do outreach, who will understand that he or she will need to remain a farmer, bring leads, and not just wait for marketing or the website to bring them leads. Understood. So basically, uh, a salesperson job is to sell. Essentially, that's what the role says. Uh, however, some of us make that complicated by adding uh, all kinds of acronyms to it, and and you know, um, uh, putting technology, which all of those should be secondary to what they're doing. They should basically be essentially able to explain what their service is and and sell it to someone. That's it. And this is why it is sometimes uh, challenging for senior experienced salespeople from outside of our industry to be able to sell interpreting or translation services at a high level because they lack that understanding of our fairly complex industry in order to sell it effectively. Thomas, besides the, the competence and social skills such as making cold calls and, and connecting with people and going to events, trade shows, what else does a salesperson in this industry need to know beyond a typical salesperson's knowledge or skill level so that they can, uh, with confidence, portray what we are selling and uh, you know get the customer to, to, to buy into that? I think one of the challenges of salespeople is that Sometimes uh, they come from the industry, they were in operations like me, for example, but often cases they haven't. And so, yes, they're very good salespeople, but they may be lacking a certain understanding of how a project works. And, uh, you know, there are a few things we can do to, to train them. Uh, in understanding what our business is is about so they can sell it effectively to prospects and clients alike. However, we sometimes do not invest in the salespeople. We sometimes uh, just set them free and say, okay, go sell with no clear direction or no clear training that will enable them to be successful. Understood. So basically, um, keeping them up to date, training them on the basic and essential skills, and also telling them about what our industry is about uh, beyond just, you know, these are the tools we are using or the processes are like we do translation, edit and review. 
we do salesperson need to know about things like how translation is done and to be able to explain that because I, I've seen that personally there's a lot of people who cannot explain that yeah I I, I think that the uh, the the good salesperson who brings the numbers in has a fairly good grasp of what uh, a localization project entails or an interpreting uh, um, engagement uh, if that's the case um, and there's a an easy way to train that salesperson in in that type of understanding, and that's just doing a boot camp at your company, um, putting that sales new salesperson in the role of a proofreader, a desktop publisher, an engineer, a tester, a project coordinator, a recruiter, project manager, assigning maybe even some live projects that don't have a you know very tight schedule that could be supervised by a senior project manager, have them shadow an operations team and be part of that team for let's say a couple of weeks when they first start. And then they will get a fairly good understanding of what it entails to do this project. And then you can set them free and go hunt. Thank you, Thomas. Let's shift gears here and, and talk about uh, where the sales team fits inside an NLSP organization. Um, the book that I read from uh, Renato Beninato, my friend, it says that there's three key essential components or core components of an RS, uh, LS, LSP is sales, vendor management, and obviously project management. So uh, what other teams interact with sales and how should that interface be set up? Yeah, the, um, the, the I think the, 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 the thing that is often um, lacking in in our companies is a collaborative tool. It's a way to collaborate between the different departments. And one tool that is a great tool to collaborate is a CRM, a, a client relationship manager software. It's a it's basically a database with also a a workflow that will enable um, an opportunity to be tracked based on its stages, and then. What it also does, it's in it's a forum for project managers and management alike to see what the salesperson is doing, the interactions they're having, and possibly participate in this as they may themselves may have contacts with a client. It's a way to consolidate in one place all the information about a particular prospect or client. It also is a tool that enables the sales team to showcase their pipeline, what they're working on. Often there's a, a doubt that the salespeople are actually doing work. Uh, they're out there um, having fancy dinners sometimes with clients, uh, going on business trips in some cases. And, um, you know, one wonders, what are they actually doing, those sales folks? So having a CRM that can showcase the actual hard work that sales is, is a, a key to a good understanding of the three different components or or, or even more components of, of, a, of a translation company. And lastly, what it, the, a collaborative tool like this enables is to uh, convert a pipeline with a weighing factor of opportunities in a CRM to an actual forecast that then operations and management can take to the bank and make hiring and firing decision based on that forecast. There is this notion in our industry, I've, I've heard it in so many conferences, that salespeople do not stick around for long uh, with LSPs. 
uh, is it true? And if so, why is that? I, I think I'm going to paraphrase uh, Renato Beninato here because I think he has a good expression. It's not exactly the one that I'm going to use, but it's it, it's the gist of it, which is um, bad hire, quick fire. Um, and that's, unfortunately, the reality is that the ones who don't stick around much um, – are typically not the very good ones. Um, right. The the salespeople who succeed, who make, who who understand a company, who have loyalty to a company, who bring results, will typically stick around. I was talking at, at Loke World a few weeks ago with one of my former colleagues uh, from We Localize, who has been with that company for over 15 years uh, as just a regular business development manager with no aspirations to be a manager or a VP. He's very content with his work. He's proud of his work. He's proud to be a salesperson, to do the outreach, to do the right thing, get some commission money, and really overall be happy with his position. And so that is somebody who sticks around for the long the, the long term, really, basically. So uh, I think the, another aspect uh, to this might be that in order to stick around, a salesperson also, it's not just about money. They need to feel appreciated. They need to feel appreciated by their boss. They need to feel appreciated by their colleagues. So a pat in the back to a salesperson who has done a good job goes a long way to keeping their loyalty and keeping them around. Just like anything, I guess we constantly need to refresh and rejuvenate our sales training to be up to speed with what's happening in our industry, with the client industries and so forth. This is an area where you provide expertise. And, um, you know, uh, I've personally been a beneficiary of your expertise and and I see that and I can attest to that. Now, tell me, how should LSPs plan and budget for uplifting or rejuvenating their sales skills? I think I think regular sales skills um, training are important. I, I used to work with a with a, a salesperson who um, had a habit when he was on business trips to purchase a sales training book, like the latest uh, sales method, and he would read this on airplanes and in airports or whenever he had time uh, during his travels. And I noticed an uptick in his sales results every time he read such a book and he would read one maybe once every three months so his sales would go down 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 he would buy the latest and greatest and then his sales would go up (laughs) Uh, we like every everybody like an athlete we need to do training we need to be uh constantly refreshing our set um of of skills and be and sometimes reminded of what's important but we don't need to necessarily hire a consultant to do this. We can also do it on our own if we don't have the budget. And that is, like we said before, getting a tool uh, like a CRM that will help the sales team. Also, creating a yearly retreat, perhaps, where we could have operations and sales meet together and understand each other's challenges and aspirations and goals, and then collectively work on a, stra- on, a on a company strategy to, let's say, increase business um, in an uh, organized fashion is very useful. Another one is um, a sa- the sales boot camp, just making sure that your sales are properly trained. And one thing that is very important and often forgotten 
is to provide them with a target, an actual target or quota as it's called, or a budget, some people prefer to use, but a target that they can aim for and know what the, the expectations of their organization and management is with regards to their own personal results. Otherwise, they just become butterflies going from one flower to the next because they don't really have a goal. And often right. case in our industry, I find that if we give our salespeople training either internal or external, and if we let them once in a while have attendance to tra at trade shows so they can mix with other industry folks, and finally, if we give them a clear quota, then they will succeed. If we don't have that quota, they will not. This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human-in-the-loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal, and government sectors. Visit hybridlinks.com to learn more. I know you talked about, uh, you know, the, the kind of skills that a salesperson needs, but let's talk about the skills, the talents, and, and kind of the know-how or education, I guess you would call it, that a sales manager, a person managing a sales team must possess to manage a robust sales team that constantly brings in revenue and meets uh, your KPIs or targets. I know this is going to surprise people because I'm going to say that actually a sales manager does not necessarily need to be an excellent salesperson, but needs to be an excellent manager of people. And that is the number one skills for uh, set for a sales manager, uh, much more important than being able to make a, a cold call or, 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 or perform sales himself or herself. Um, they need to empower the sales team to succeed. They need to understand that you need to keep your hunters, hunters, and your farmers, farmers. They need to set the goals, set the, the targets, accurately with the salespeople reviewing that target with them, typically in the last quarter of the year, um, before the new year starts, it's a good habit of sitting as a sales manager with your sales staff and agreeing on a common target number for the next year. And lastly, I think it's to be a participative um, manager where in some cases um, the salesperson may need that little additional support to close a piece of business and be there if they need that. And what about the role of technology, Thomas, to enable sales teams to perform better? I mean, it's possible to sell without any technology, uh, although some people might argue if, for example, if I'm put face to face with someone, I might still be able to convince them to buy my product. But what does technology do for us and how do we use it properly to enable sales teams to perform uh, at their best? You know, I think you can build a chair um, just using a like a Swiss Army knife, right. um, but it sure is easier if you have machinery. So it's the same with sales. Um, it, there is a level of technology that we need to invest in. It is not a very large investment because if we look at the cost of a CRM, a customer relationship manager software, um, to, to, to manage the sales effort and give that, uh, it's a primary tool for salespeople. The CRM is the number one primary tool. And you can start uh, with some companies like HubSpot or Zoho for free 
they will give you free packages to start and then as soon as you get like 500 or 1000 contacts in there then you you buy upgrades five packages 5000 contacts etc cetera, etc cetera. And, and you can spend a lot of money using you know full fledged PRMs like salesforce for example but you can start small it doesn't need to cost a lot of money but this CRM is the essential technology that you need for your salesforce the second one is the ability to perhaps get a membership of a LinkedIn sales navigator. That is a little bit expensive on a monthly basis, but you can also just get one for your entire team. Maybe have the sales manager have access to it and just you know, uh, answer a couple of questions from his sales staff um, that may occur. If you have the budget, get, get their own sales navigator uh, membership it's a few uh, uh, I can't remember exactly the cost but it's a little shy of a hundred dollars US uh, uh, to um, to get that membership on a monthly basis it's well worth it because it gives you access to certain tools to identify prospect lists it gives you a sheer number of in-mail messages that you can send in LinkedIn that will enable your salespeople to reach out uh, to to many prospects um, and and I think the last investment we can make is to some extent technology but not really and that is um, empowering a salesperson to occasionally go to an industry event to hear and learn about the latest technologies and what is going on out there, be able to share with colleagues in the industry at different levels in management, sales or not, um, is a, an investment well worth it. Thomas, uh, you know, the past couple of years has been um, strange. It's been, I guess, uh, expected and unexpected in so many ways with the pandemic and work from home. Uh, we knew the technology would at some point uh, reach to a point where, where we will be able to do things remotely. Now, the nature of approaching people and selling to them has changed as well. Uh, the customers expect things to be done differently, and I guess we also do differently. How should sales teams adapt to this new reality? I mean, the, the truth of the matter is there's always going to be a crisis. Uh, right. we've, we've, we've seen many crises over the past few years. Uh, remember uh, September 11th, uh, 2001. Remember 2008, 2009, the, uh, the uh, financial crisis, uh, COVID, uh, the war in Ukraine. There will always be a crisis. Um, but I think... When um, when we work um, within uh, crises environments, or when we have to work remotely, we have to understand that we have to become in sales uh, even better listeners to our customers. We have to instead of um, I like to use the term. Uh, it's a little bit uh, crass. Uh, I apologize for the audience, but we have a tendency to vomit our elevator pitch um, to to a prospect, and that is no longer the way to do it. The way to do it is today to research um, a common. Um, point of contact that we can have with a prospect or a client, something that we can discuss, one of their pain points. And one of the ways, the best ways to do it is to do your homework as a salesperson and your research, but also to be a great listener. We have to show empathy. We have to understand that most of us on this planet by now have been affected by a crisis, one or the other, and realize that and actually have 
um, a, a bit of a uh, more warming up to a sales call uh, where we start asking people how they are, ask them if they have been impacted by the latest crisis or not, and um, and just establish a personal relationship also, as opposed to just going out and charging, 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 and selling, 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 which does not get a very good response today. Thomas, uh, I would like us to zoom out and take a look at our industry at a high level. Um, I know you talked about this at the very beginning, but what is the main problem when it comes to selling and wanting customer trust today uh, versus before? I think I think the if 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 I were to to just give one uh, answer to this, it would be that we are perceived still as a commodity, as opposed to a professional service. Uh, and that is the biggest challenge, is for a salesperson to be able to get out of that commodity rut and be able to um, showcase the solutions that we can provide as solution providers. Do you think, Thomas, that as an industry, um, we're doing a good job in educating our customers about what we do so that our sales teams could leverage that knowledge and that foundation and offer solutions that are relevant and fit to customers' problems? You alluded to this earlier that you know there's a price war going on right now and we are failing to educate them, but what else could we be doing? Uh, collectively, I, I think um, I think the co- collectively, uh, what is very important is um, uh, in this education of prospects and customers alike is to have communication with them. So the industry events like uh, Gala, uh, Lokworld, uh, Elia, ALC, etc., where you can um, have clients and ven- and vendors should use a supplier, that's a better term for for what we do than vendor, Um, that meet and learn from each other is key. Also, I think uh, podcasts like yours, Sultan, that educate uh, the industry at large and clients on the issues surrounding this industry that often case they are involved with if they are a global company uh, are key in order to get out of this perception of this uh, this, this commodity-only, bags of peanuts uh, type of industry. Thomas, uh, you offer your expertise and, and training sales teams within our LSPs, large and small. Do enough of us, I mean the LSP side, take advantage of what you are offering in terms of um, that, that knowledge, that uh, exper- experience and expertise and resources that are available to improve our sales outcomes. Do you think enough people are taking things like this seriously in order to to grow their businesses? Because at the end of the day, business is about selling. And if you don't know what is going on in the real world, if an expert is not showing you the right tricks, then you're probably not uh, doing a, a good job in, in what you're doing. Just like going to you know school uh, for, for a trade. If you haven't studied it properly, you will not be good at it. What what type of trends do you see? I, I what I see is that there's a lot of training in the industry about selling, and the the training that I see out there is very theoretical, 
And um, I mean, I, there, there are plenty of good solutions and there are plenty of good trainers um, in, in this industry, but there are plenty of bad ones as well. And one thing that uh, my partner and I like to do, my partner is Jessica Rathke uh, with, with Fluent Sales, uh, uh, the organization called Fluent Sales, is we provide a, a duality of uh, theoretical training followed by a tactical hand-holding of the teams until they're ready to, you know, fly on their own or swim on their own and bring the numbers. So I think one thing I would look for, and that's not me and Jessica, but in any training that you look for in, in, in us or others, is to look at this duality of skill set where we can provide training, but also tactical hand-holding and maybe even introductions to prospects and possibly making cold calls on our own in order to help the sales team understand how it's done. Thomas, most LSPs still operate with the same notion and dated mentality that we offer unique solutions and our customers will always buy from us. I know we're talking about team and sales structure here, but this also kind of fits there. What do you have to tell them in order to stay ahead of the competition? How should they structure their thoughts? How should they structure their offering? I think one thing that um, is is fairly easy to do that we tend to forget as an industry and operations teams uh, or account management teams is to keep regular interaction with our key customers. And I'm not saying every customer. If you have 2,000 customers, you don't want to, you know, invest too much time in, in some of them that, you know, don't have a lot of potential. But if you narrow this down to your strategic account or your important house accounts, um, then uh, these are worth the investment in regular business reviews, interaction, review of KPIs, key performance indicators with them on a regular basis. One common one that I like is the, the QBR, the quarterly business review, meet every three months with your customer. Some customers may prefer to meet every six months or even every year for an annual business review. No matter, it doesn't matter what the frequency is as long as you keep a regular contact with them in today's day and age. I think a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting or a Skype meeting is very appropriate. Uh, an in-person meeting is, is, is possible if the clients are not too far away geographically from you. But this regular communication where uh, you sit down, you review KPIs, you review volumes, uh, you review the history of relationship that you have with them, you remind them. Because in some cases, you'll have a, a long old timer on the client who will retire or leave the company, and then a new person comes in and doesn't know the history that you have with this organization and how much you have provided custom work and very um, uh, flexible uh, solutions to that client. And then when that happens, they may have allegiance with other vendors and guess what? You get fired. So in order not to get fired, in order to keep that business and grow that business, regularly sitting down with a client outside of the day-to-day -day interaction with messaging or email or even phone calls, um, but sitting down and looking at what worked well, what could be improved in the future on both sides, and then 
review forecast for planning purposes in the next three months, six months, one year, five years is key to maintaining that customer and not having it snatched under you. Speaking of competition and people taking your customer, do you see competition from within the industry? Is that where the threat is? How should sales teams compete with forces that are actually outside of the industry, such as empty platforms coming in from Google or Amazon and so on. Uh, how do you see the future in terms of competition shaping up and, and how should LSPs prepare their sales teams to meet with uh, all these different threats? So here, again, like we said earlier, there's really, I think, a difference in angles between the large LSPs and the small to medium-sized LSPs. Um, Let me explain. Um, What happens and what has been happening for the past 20, 25 years or more in this industry is one, we will get some key revolutionary technology that will enable us to maximize profit and do more efficient uh, uh, work, basically. And, you know, we had um, uh, translation memory way back when. Then we had um, uh, rules-based machine translation. Then we had statistical-based machine translation, neural-based machine translation, and then combinations of translation memory, machine translation, and human editors, post-edited machine translation and the like. And these follow these kind of cycles every five, six, seven years, you have this new technology that is usually adopted quite quickly by the large players because they can invest, they have the money to invest in these technologies. And what they end up doing is for a few years, they maximize their profit, they regain a few points in profit margin, whereas the smaller to medium-sized organization that has not invested yet in this newer technology is losing traction, making um, uh, projects uh, uh, more expensive, competing uh, even in a harder way uh, with those big competitors that have invested in technology, and um, in a way losing traction until they can again uh, move to that technology. So I think we should not fight technology. It will happen. We should not fight uh, the Googles and the Amazons uh, and the new technology of the world. Instead, Let's educate ourselves and just keep up. At the same time, understand that our business is a people business and that translation will always be powered by people. That, that's an amazing answer. And, and I really like that how you say that, you know, it's the people that's powering this industry and, and we don't appreciate them enough. Um, Let's talk about uh, the future, how things are going to look like uh, in the next uh, couple of years. How do you see sales teams changing, Thomas, and and how do you see them adapting in the next uh, 12 to 24 uh, months um, with the world around us shifting and adjusting uh, to a new socioeconomic environment? The horizon looks very different. At, At the same time, the more things change, the more things do not change. Right. And as far as sales is concerned, having a, a, a sound sales strategy, an actual strategy where as a team you discuss which vertical markets, which industry segments you are experts at and should focus on in order to grow your business by uh, showcasing your experience deciding on which regions you want to penetrate or or, or or focus on, what services and service lines you want to offer, 
all those are key in order for your sales team to remain uh, active and remain successful. And and so when I say things change, uh, but they don't change, you will always need to have a sales force that will provide prospecting and, uh, and outreach, who will need to organize their effort, who will need to document, work collaboratively with operations without that tension that we see sometimes, um, making an effort to um, include operations in the final sales cycle when an, a deal is agreed to with a customer in order for it to go smoothly. All those things um, have been like this for the past 10, 15 years and will remain so, even mm -hmm. though things are shifting and there are changes, the fundamentals of our business do not change. Thomas, as we reach the end of this conversation, um, hopefully we, we will continue to have this in the future. Can you share a few words of advice for LSP executives that are thinking about improving sales and uh, business development in general? I think one thing that you, the, the biggest thing you can do to, to improve sales is to, to look at your current team. In some cases, there might be a salesperson who would benefit from having another position within the organization and maybe uh, could be um, uh, trained and reassigned to perhaps an operations position, a marketing position where they may have higher strength or to eliminate that position uh, because we have a tendency as sales managers to really hope that a salesperson after three months, six months, nine months, 12 months of investment will bring results. If you don't see results in the first three months of hire of a salesperson, you will not see better improvement six months, nine months down the line. You need to, sh you need to see activity levels that are um, necessary in order to book the business today. You need 300% pipeline value for 100% forecast value in business development, which means that if you intend to book $100,000 of business, you need to have $300,000 of pipeline business you're working on in order for that uh, $100,000 uh, to, to occur. And in order to do that, you can't just have one opportunity per week or one opportunity per month you're working on. You need to have an active sales team that will make 10, 20, 30 outreach efforts per day in order to juggle enough balls in the air that they will meet their targets and ultimately the, the company's target. Wow, uh, what a fascinating and engaging conversation, Thomas. But also, I had a lot of fun covering a subject that is so important and a fundamental part of business for all language services entrepreneurs and executives. Um, I have to say that the value in your words is priceless, and uh, I'm so happy that your company, Fluent Sales, has been a partner of my organization, Hybrid Links. Um, I hope we can cover other sales-related topics in the future. And with that, I want to thank you for your time and for sharing your experience with me in the industry. Thank you, Sultan. It's much appreciated. Sales and sales management are fundamental to any business, regardless of the industry. In the translation and localization industry, there is a major gap in what clients want and what is sold to them, in particular in language suppliers that fit into the mid to small level. There is a lot of organizations that do sales on an ad hoc basis and their revenues and results are fluctuating. In some cases, 
not even sustainable because they didn't place enough effort to formalize and bring structure to their sales efforts. Larger LSPs suffer from sales issues, albeit they are very structured. They have a hard time competing with smaller language service providers that are confusing the clients by offering lowest rates and highest quality, which is not an attainable combination. That being said, a properly thought out sales strategy that fits into an organization's strategic plans will yield consistent results, consistent experience and a sustainable growth. We have reached the end of this podcast. I hope you learned a few things and were able to sharpen your sales skills to grow your organizations. Remember, I believe in sharing knowledge, whether it's mine or my guests, and this conversation was an example of that. Please share this knowledge with others in our industry and beyond to help us professionalize how we do business. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on your platform of choice, and give this episode a thumbs up or five-star rating. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode. 